I'm Aysan, and welcome to the third instalment of our 16-17 season reviews. Today, we've got Mr. Daisy Cutter himself, Stephen Tudor, in the hot seat. Welcome, Stephen. Hello. How are you, mate? Uh, great. <laughs> Excellent. That's good to hear. Because <laughs> yesterday you were really struggling with that tooth, so it's good to hear that you're, <laughs> you're feeling better today. It's all um, better now. And... Of course, you know you recognise that laugh, don't you, Sir Howard of Hockey? Howard, how Hello. are you? I'm fine. Nothing, nothing's changed in the last 24 hours, eh, so Very good. That's very <laughs> good to hear. Uh, okay, so as it's Stephen's season review, take it away, Stephen. Okay. Um, the closer you look at 2016-17, the blurrier it gets. I listened to Paul's pod this week and found myself nodding along to much of it. Especially when he said there's been too many seasons of transition and blaming disappointment, disappointing campaigns on this uh, and how it's become an easy cop-out. The fact remains, though, that this has been Pep Guardiola's first season in England and it's reasonable to expect that season to be a learning curve for him. With that in mind, though, it's also fair to say that this season has been a very strange one indeed because if you reshuffle some of the periods of the season into a different order, then the reflections post-season will be very different. Put the opening 10 games at the end and we'd be buoyant right now and believing we were on the cusp of something extremely exciting. Elsewhere, there's been periods where we've clicked for three, four, five games, then regressed again. There has not been a linear upward trajectory or too much signs of increased cohesiveness. Defence aside, which I believe have got their act together more and more as the season went on. While the attack, with the incredible talent that we have, will always pose a threat. There have been signs of a learning curve being assimilated by Pep. Well, yes and no. At the end of April, after enjoying huge success playing with two out wide, City went to Middlesbrough, a side with arguably the narrowest setup in the Premier League, and basically went like for like. That's a mistake you make in September, not April. This brings me on to a difference between mistakes and mistakes that are made in hindsight. A lot of Blues won't agree with me on this, but getting rid of Joe Hart with such adamance was only a mistake in hindsight. They won't agree with me because many rail, railed at the decision at the time. But at the time, it made sense to me. Bravo had over 100 international caps. He was far superior with his feet. Hart, meanwhile, was clearly a keeper Pep didn't think would suit his style of football. So fair enough, go in hard, sort it out from the get-go. I'm not someone who goes along with this traditional thinking where a new manager comes in and it should be a clean slate for everyone. That tends to produce results, granted, but only temporarily before old problems re-emerge. Pep was laying down foundations for the next three years at least, and he could not have foreseen Bravo's ineptitude. No one could have foreseen that. So it was a mistake in hindsight. Playing a weakened side against United in the League Cup, however, was by any barometer a mistake. A mistake at the time and a mistake that permeated throughout the season. The same can be said for too much tinkering at the back. Completely unnecessary and counterproductive and I absolutely fail to see any logic in that. However, there has been evidence that Pep has learned. Defensively, we too often looked all at sea and were too susceptible to individual errors. That was tightened up post Goodison Park. There was also compromises made in his idealism. There was more cover given to the back five. We went back to a back four, and consequently there was a more structured priorities throughout. When I look back on this season, I realised we got too excited far too early. We jumped on our VIP guest before he'd had a chance to take his coat off. 
we expected immediate magic. It's worth taking a moment at this point to consider the vast array of distractions that inhibited Guardiola last year as he undertook his initial overhaul. There was an emotional farewell to Bayern in Germany, an extended fanfare of introductory commitments to City, a family to relocate to unfamiliar landscape with three children to find schools for, a major international tournament was going on, there was a squad to educate from scratch on his methods with constant explanations, demands for his time, trials and errors. This is now his time, this is now his year of reckoning. We've seen things that excited. Sterling and Sané, the most invigorating and pure wing partnership in the world. The flashes of who Gabriel Jesus will become. KDB and Silva orchestrating on an entirely different level to the rest. And we've, but we've also seen things that frustrated, even exasperated. And we singly failed to challenge for the title. We bossed Chelsea, Arsenal and made Spurs look ragged and incoherent. Yet we got our pants pulled down by Leicester and inferior sides, and we drew as many times as we did in 2015-16. There were five, maybe more, games this season that if you'd watched it having awoken from a coma, you'd swear blind Pellegrini was still in charge. This season, coming, has to be Pep Guardiola's greatest hits tour. It has to be an end to the modelled and inconsistent. It has to be bloody brilliant. I've heard it said that a title is a must. It's not. There are six very, very good teams in the Premier League, and two of whom will be spending hundreds of millions like we are. The title isn't the, be on the end and end all, but challenging for it is. If we're not in the mix by March, then Project Pep has been a failure. I think it's true to say that Pep has lost his untouchable stature. There are decisions he made throughout the season that prompted double standards. If Pellegrini had done them, he'd have been mauled. But Pep, there must be a master plan behind his thinking. Now we don't believe that, by and large. He has become mortal before our very eyes. And that's it. Wow. That's my take the season. Wow, thank you very Sound, much. It sounded more negative than what I meant. I was actually, overall, looking back on the season, I, I'm okay, I'm, you know, but looking back there, maybe, maybe it is more negative than what I intended it. No, that's okay. I've, I've got a question, actually. Uh, Howard, you don't mm-hmm. mind me going first, do you? No, of course, yeah. Um, I, you know, it's really interesting that for me, there's a a difference between there's a difference between the reality of Pep and what people expected. And I feel mm. one of the unfair things in all of these reviews that we do and all of the conversations that we've had this season is that we impose our view of Pep onto Pep. So we go, because he came with this reputation, because the media said this, because people say this, therefore Pep must be this thing. And I think that our expectations were so high that we end up in a situation where we talk about something like what happened at Middlesbrough as like a flagrant almost like dereliction of duty as a manager whereas in actual fact the reality is it's just a football manager that rotated his football team because he he played you see what i mean that it's like that every single thing that guardiola has done this season has been put under the microscope not just by the media but by us as blues as well and we and we see it all, and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else. So I'm not trying to, you know, not trying to 
say anything different. But we we kind of look at it all through this filter or this prism of he's the greatest of all time and his shit doesn't stink. And that's just not fair on the man because he, he is a man and he is a young manager in terms of his the amount of years he's been managing for and he's young in the sense that he's only managed two clubs before City really and he has got a lot to learn and, and, and City will be a learning curve for him so we our expectations were way out of whack I think and I think that a lot of those expectations have come from everything around Pep the mythology around Pep and of course it doesn't help that you know, Marty Perrineau writes amazing books about him and, and we get kind of caught up in the excitement and the, the tactical brilliance of the man. But he's human. If he's not got 22 players that he can rely on, he's not going to rotate in that way. He's not going to... You see what I'm saying? That, like, he can't... What's that phrase? He can't make a a, a, a silk purse out of a sow's ear. He can't do that. So, you know, he was always going to be limited by by the tools that, that, that he had. So, yeah, so I feel that you're a bit... That that kind of that idea that you know of what Pep was, it's not real. That's what I'm trying to say. I absolutely agree, but I only well, I, I partly agree. I mean, you know, I brought Middlesbrough up as an example and use it yourself to counter. Uh, so staying with Middlesbrough, um, I'm very aware of my own limitations with footballing knowledge. You know, in comparison to you know, a lot of kind of laymen, never mind someone like Pep Guardiola. And yet, prior to the game, when you see the lineup and you think, Middlesbrough are going to fight for their lives today. This is their pretty much last chance saloon. Um, they play narrow. Why exactly are we playing with this lineup? We're going to struggle today. So when you see the team struggle and, you know, balance that out with, okay, some of it is mythology, of course it is, but some of it's reality as well. He is at extraordinarily talented football coach with you know extraordinary depth of kind of thinking behind each decision um so how did he come to that conclusion you know and that's just one obviously i'm not saying there's many but there are several and not just me of course right across the board with all blues they'll see a lineup they'll see a substitution they'll see you know something happen um seeing a mission from a player and think that's not right um, I'll, I'll give you another one on the last game of the season um, uh, with Aguero being substituted. Why? He's going for his hat-trick. We want him to stay. He's staying. You know, let's, he's got his tail up. Why bring him off? There was no reason to bring him off. What, you're proving a point there, Pep? For what? It's counterproductive. So if you're this kind of master of, of uh, philosophy, uh, that's, that's, it's basics. So... Yeah, I, I'm concentrating on the mistakes here. They're very much outweighed by the positives, uh, and I'm very happy to admit that. But, yeah, if he is human, as you say, then it also he deserves the same level of criticism that what would be reserved for, you know, a mortal such as Pellegrini. But I don't think that... See, I, I think that... that okay, I'm going to say... How do I say this? I think you're wrong. I think, I think the reason that I think that you're wrong, it's in what you said initially, because I don't think that, um, I think the problem that, that football supporters have sometimes is that they they manage everything with hindsight. So what you do is you go, right, well, he picked that team and I knew, I said before the game, that's never yeah. going to work. And then it didn't work. See, what was he thinking? 
What football supporters don't acknowledge is the number of times over a season that they'll go, why has he done that? And then it works. And then nobody ever says anything about it. So let me give you an example. <laughs> and I think this is an excellent example. You stick Yaya Torre at the base of a midfield with Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva in front of him, right? And everybody went, that's not going to work, man. That's, uh -huh. that's just going to get... That's just, Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, there was just, like, absolute abject panic. We played some of our best football with those three in the centre of midfield. And none of those people, like, to my eyes anyway, I've not seen any of those people turn around and go, yeah, I was wrong there, mate. Like, I was totally wrong. Guardiola knows what he's doing. So my issue is that every manager over the course of the season will have decisions that they make that supporters will go, I don't understand why he's done that. And then that decision won't work. And then the supporters will go, see, we were right. Doesn't make them right. Yeah, I, I accept mm. that. I mean, you know, there are plenty of times and, and you used a very good example there where Pep has surprised me and it's worked out, you know, for the best, but you're too busy celebrating, quite frankly, after the game <laughs> to acknowledge it. Um, so, of course, that's the case, yeah. And that's just kind of the perk of being a football supporter. Oh, no, be... totally. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think he adapts his team? You know, I, on my review, said, well, I was disappointed that he doesn't adapt every team to the opposition. Mm. But then, you know, we've both talked about the tinkering in the defence. Do you think he was doing that? To, are we not seeing something here, or...? Why did well, he keep changing that defensive view? Was, was he actually trying to counter the opposition or was he just rotating players to keep them fresh? So. I, it can't be the latter. I mean, surely it can't be the latter because to me that just makes no sense. It, it's, um, you know, you're not going to do that for any other area of the pitch or he doesn't do that for any other area of the pitch. Why? It's, it's not more physically demanding to be a centre-back. Um, so I, I can't be just rotation for kind of, you know, freshness. Um, there's certainly been occasions where you've, you've seen him pick collar off for certain situations, you know, for kind of, yeah. you know, his distribution, for example. Physical. And, yeah. Physical, yeah. And same goes, and, yeah. Yeah, and the same goes for Otamendi. So, yeah, that has definitely been a factor. But the amount he does it, the regularity he does it, makes you suspect that's not always the case. Um, I don't know the answer to that. It's yeah. baffled the crap out of me all season. Um, and that is my chief criticism of Pep Guardiola this season is the sheer amount of times he's rotated at the back. You need cohesiveness, you need some understanding in there, and we've seen it towards the tail, uh, season's end as well. Uh, all it takes, two or three games together, and just that, you can clearly see that level of understanding just improving yeah. game on game. So, yeah, it's it baffled me. Can I, no, I do think I do think if the same yeah sorry I'll just say one sentence I do think the same squad once they've all been there three years the understanding will be there even with rotation yes but, yeah. but he knows that in the first year it won't be so I agree there was too much tinkering for me but uh, sorry Ace and you were saying yeah I I mean I don't know this to be true so I'm speculating but <clears throat> I, if I if I had to guess as to what happened I think that what happened uh, is that. That the, he didn't realise the extent to which company wasn't going to be available, right? I think that for all of the talk Guardiola said once the season had begun and, and then he was injured about the, the, the kind of the fact that we just need to get him fit, when the season began, the hope was that Vinny was going to stay fit and, and Pep knew that 
with Vinny there, he gives total stability to the back line. Um, and then you kind of lose Vinny. And I think that the loss of Vinny and also the failure to land the fullbacks that they wanted last summer and therefore accepting that it was going to be a season with those four fullbacks. I think that as the season began to unfold, when the fault lines begin, began to appear within the team, he was looking for a solution. And I think that the rotation was not so much a sign of a lack of confidence in one player or anything like that. I think that the rotation is very much what you're going to get from Pep Guardiola over the next three or four years. So the reality is that what we saw was, or what ended up being on display, was that the squad's not good enough. So whilst we're all sat here going, you can't tinker, you can't do that, you can't change a back four every three days, get ready, because between September and February, you will see that of every season that he's the manager. The team will change every three days, sometimes dramatically. So, I But that's farcical. I mean, for me, that's just... And what I hate about it most is that I know that I sound old school saying it. I know that I sound like I'm kind of grasping for a, a, a higher understanding that's beyond me. You know, it, it's like this is the modern way. And, and, you know, but no, it's farcical. You should never change your centre-backs with that amount of regularity under any circumstances. No, I mean, um, I don't think, I don't think, I'm sorry, I, I want to cut you off there just to say this mm. one thing. I don't think he would have changed the two centre-half the number of times that he changed that partnership if he'd had Vinny fit. Yeah, if, I agree with that, yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? That, that, of course, there will be a consistent, and there will be some stability, but the point is just more, if we talk... Like, we need to get away from this idea that rotation is bad because Guardiola's going to rotate loads between those. Well, mate, I, I don't think rotation is bad. That's the thing. I'm I'm just specifically, I'm not even talking about the full, fullbacks. I'm just talking about the centre-back pairings here. And, you know, and, and I know it's going to be different if you play a back three, of course. Yeah, no, I, I, that's that's totally fair enough. And, I, and I, I, I happen to agree with you, I think. But I do think that had Vinny been fit, he'd have played. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And and it would have been Stones and Otamendi that, that, that rotated out. So um and that's still the hope for for next season. So, you know, we'll I guess that we'll see. And maybe the idea is to bring in another centre half is so that they have another guy who he trusts like he trusts Vinny. Because he doesn't trust Otamendi like that. So and he, he Stones need he he accepts the fact that Stones needs next to him somebody with that, who brings that level of authority into the into the back line? So, would you would you say that's still the case, Jason? Would you say that? I mean, from my perspective, my guess, based on nothing but my own kind of you know judgment on this, I would say that Otamendi has really elevated himself into Pep's thinking in in recent months to the extent now where if someone said to me, right, company starts. Who's alongside him, Otamendi or Stones? You know, for the long term, no. I mean, for for next season ahead. Um, my instincts would say Stones, but not with any great certainty. No, I, I, I don't think that... I, I'm not convinced. That, <laughs> I'm not convinced that Otamendi has got a long-term future at City. That's not to say right. that he'll be sold this summer, but yeah. he's not a player that I see as having any type of long-term future under Guardiola. 
That's a shame. I, I, I like the guy. I really like the guy. Yeah, no, I mean, he's improved in, in the last, you know, six months. I think he's definitely improved. But, you know, I, I guess it always comes back to this thing of what we talked about. Um, we've talked about it previously, this idea that, you know, you're building a squad to compete with Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. Yeah. So you want, the manager wants players who effectively, obviously you can't have 24 players who could all play in a European Cup final and you guarantee that you'll win that European Cup final. But the idea is more or less that Guardiola would like in each position two players fundamentally that he trusts. And mm. I think with Otamendi, it's a case of trust. He doesn't trust him. And I think that, you know, for example, I would think that you'd look at the performances of John Stones and you'd go, you can't trust Stones after some of the mistakes that he's made. But he does. He's got absolute faith that John Stones is going to develop into one of the top centre. That's same here, to be honest. And, and Otamendi, what undermines him as well is he plays by far and away his best football when he plays regularly. A couple of games under his belt, you know, he starts yeah. picking up form, doesn't yeah. he? So, yeah. you know, if, if you're having him in reserve, if you like, that kind of undermines his whole kind of, you know, what works in his favour. So, um, yeah, you, I can see that. You don't really get that opportunity in 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 top squads anymore. I don't think. I don't think you can be that type of player who needs, like, you know, the, the, yeah, exactly, the, yeah, the idea that you know a player needs like three or four games to get into the rhythm of it. I don't think that you're you're afforded that luxury no, to play for absolutely Real Madrid not. or Barcelona or Bayern Munich and now Manchester City. I think you've got to be what you are. You've got to be. You've got to hit the ground running, basically. Okay, mm. um, Howard, have you got any more questions for Steve? No, just an open one, really, for the future. Go ahead. Do you think? Do you think we're overwhelming favourites? Everything that's gone already, and what other teams will spend? Very quick answer, obviously. Do you think we'll go over? Be overwhelming favourites for the league next year? Yeah, that I do. Should that i.e. we should be the team that wins it? Yeah, I do. I well. Because I think me, that's me where I think we'll be, on this yeah. in the previous pod, and I think you sided with me, Howard. Um, right. but, oh, we're As regards to Chelsea, because <laughs> I, mean, um, right. I I think Chelsea have been somewhat undervalued um, and underestimated, and I think Chelsea potentially, and I could be completely wrong, but potentially Chelsea could be building something very special under Conte. I think they've got the foundations laid by the arch twat Mourinho. Uh, and now they've got a very, very special manager, a true special one, if you like, in Conti. So I think it's between us and Chelsea for next season for me. Okay. Hey, Sam. Um, yeah, I think we'll be over, overwhelming uh, favourites. I, I suspect that next season, somebody's going to trot out the Harlem Globetrotters line because <laughs> that, you know, it's going to be a little bit like that. I think that. If we add, I mean, if we just add Alexis Sanchez, right, and the two fullbacks that we're being linked to, Mendy and Walker, and then you supplant those players into that team, then you've already got something that is far more powerful Ugh. and potent than anything else in the league. And that's it's not, our best team ever. Yeah, our best team. It ever. should. It would be it the should best be, Premier yeah. League team ever put together. I suspect. It'd be hard to think of a of a Premier League side with maybe the very first one that Abramovich built when they had like Robin, um, Robin and Dorf and, and at mm. one point, yeah, I mean the Drogba, Shevchenko, 
that period. Yeah, maybe that that they they have a team like that, but it will be insane. But yeah, I think it will absolutely be the overwhelming privilege. Uh, overwhelming. Privilege. I I do think though. I mean, if Chelsea buy big, and I'd expect them to buy big, maybe you know three players, most probably two. Uh, I think they will be even stronger next season. I mean, you. I mean, we've discussed it before. Not with more games, but well, yeah, yeah, that will kind of go against them. But I think, Aysan, you think they, they potentially they could blow a gasket and they could be like a, a one-season wonder. But I, I think they're going to stay stay the distance. Um, and who knows? It could be over the next three or four years. It could well be kind of you know Conte v Pep, City v Chelsea battling out for. The, I'll be happy with that because I hate Chelsea so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would, you know, it, it's you want someone challenging you. You know, if someone asked me now, what would I take? I'd say yes, yeah, City to win by twenty-five points. You know, every season. But the reality of that oh, would no, be, you, you know, be a bit, bit dull, wouldn't it? Yeah, you yeah, want. I want it once. I want us to win the league easily once in my <laughs> yeah. lifetime. Okay. No, I see, I <laughs> yeah, just to quit. Yeah, just once, just to uh, sail over the line with defeat. <laughs> No stress be, whatsoever. Let's have that be next season. Let's have, <laughs> next yeah. season is the one season where we do absolutely run away with it, and then uh, and then from the following season they can all catch up and they can make it a bit higher. Right? Okay. On that ridiculously positive note, because we've just decided <laughs> we're going to run away with the league next season. Um, I'm going to wrap this uh, this tiny little review show up. So, Steve, thank you very much. Pleasure, Howard. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to everybody who listened, as always. If you like what we do, go to iTunes, hit subscribe, send us a tweet, and go to our website, check it out, 9320.com, and we will be back very soon with another podcast. See ya.